He lives. How many believe that? Put your hands together and give Him some praise this morning. Because God deserves the glory. How many believe that? He deserves the praise. I'm so thankful for all of His blessings. How many have been blessed this week? Many of you. All right. Some of you won't admit it, but we have all been blessed. You got out of bed, you're here this morning, you're blessed. Amen? Well, I read a story about a man who had uh, gone to the cemetery to place uh, flowers on his dearly departed mother's grave, and while he was there, uh, after he dropped the flowers he, and had a prayer, he went back to his car, and on his way back, he saw a man kneeling at a grave, several graves down from his mother's. This guy was grieving with more pain and intensity than this other guy had ever seen. Wanting to be a comfort, he walks down to the man and says, Sir, I don't mean to intrude on your private grieving, but I've never seen someone grieve uh, so hard over something. He said, uh, uh, Could I ask who you're grieving for? Uh, is it a child? He said, No, it's not my child. He said, Well, is it a parent? He said, No, it's uh, not a parent. He said, Well, who is it? He said, it's my wife's first husband. <laughs> Some of you will get that in a minute. <laughs> you guys are slow this morning. Let me just say this to help clear it up for some of you. It wasn't the death of the first husband that caused this guy his problems. It was his decision to become the second husband. Amen? And my whole point to that, and it has a little bit to do with my sermon, not a lot... Uh, it's bad decisions bring us all problems. Amen? And how many would be honest enough to say, I've made some bad decisions in my life? You notice I got two hands up. Amen? And one leg. Amen? I've made some bad decisions, but God's still God over our bad decisions. Amen? We're still in our sermon series looking at the 23rd Psalm this morning, the most popular verses and chapters in all the Bible. But this uh, verse 3 that we're going to be talking about today, we've been breaking down this sermon series in verses, covering all six verses. We're on verse 3 today. This verse has brought hope uh, to a lot of people for centuries, but I'm going to first read it in King James. I've always loved the King James Version. I preach mostly out of the NIV, but I want to start with the King James Version of chapter, uh, verse 3. It says, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, NIV says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I want to break this down and start with first things first. The first four words, he restoreth my soul. That verse literally means he brings me back. He brings me back. He restores me. He returns me. I like to think about it in terms of restoring a classic car. Some of you guys maybe have restored a classic antique car, but there uh, their desire is to restore that car to its original condition inside and out, right? Well, David, the psalmist, is saying, that's what my Lord and my shepherd does for his sheep. He restores them completely inside and out. And if we go back into Scripture, in order for us to really get a grasp on our original condition, you have to go back to the original chapter, Genesis, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the Garden. The wonderful thing about that time, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no stress or depression, there was no uh, sin. They were able to be in constant fellowship with God. Adam and Eve had the privilege and the opportunity to walk with God, to talk with God, to be in God's presence 24-7. 
But if you know the rest of the story, sin came in the garden. Sin entered into the garden, I'll say slowly and sneakily entered into the garden, caused them to sin. They were banished from the garden. They were cast out. And the relationship between them and their God was broken. They weren't separated from that 24-7 fellowship with their God. Well, let me just say this today. You may not even realize it, but we all are and were created from the beginning for the purpose of fellowship. Not just with each other, but with Almighty God. And it's easy for us in our world today to point our finger at Adam and Eve and say, Oh, how could you? I'm suffering all this because of what you did. Let me just tell you something maybe you never heard before. It's a little bit the same for us today. We have the ability through Christ to get into the presence of God anytime we want to, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But instead, sadly to say, so often, what do we do? We drift away from God. We drift away from God's Word. I'm not picking on you this morning. I'm picking on myself. I can tell in my own spirit, my heart, in my mind, when I haven't spent much time with the Father, I'm a whole lot less generous, less forgiving, and a whole lot less peaceful of a person. Anybody else relate to that? You know, it's so easy to become offended when we don't spend time with the Father and without a strong relationship to the Father. Guess what we try to do? We try to satisfy and complete our lives with everything else but Him and everything else in this world. But as I mentioned, I think the first week or the second week, it's a counterfeit. And if we believe that counterfeit, we don't become people of having more hope. We become people that are more and more hopeless in the life that we live. Look at Psalm 42. There's 11 scriptures, and, and this word cast down is in there three times. That's a lot for this little phrase to be in there in 11 scriptures. And in fact, uh, Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11, he quotes the exact same verse twice. So if God has the psalmist quote the same verse word for word twice, he's trying to get our attention. Wouldn't you say? We need to pay attention. Let me read verse 5 in the King James. David uh, makes these comments. He says, and he's speaking to himself, actually. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? David's saying to his own spirit, to his own heart, why are you down? And why art thou disquieted or discouraged in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. For the help of his countenance. I think David is having, him, David is having himself a pep talk right there. He's giving a spiritual pep talk to his own heart. It might surprise you, he goes further than just repeating two verses twice. In Psalms 42, verses 1 and 11, they're the exact same verse. Chapter 43, verse 5 is the same verse. And it's all talking about being downcast. And the theme of both of these chapters is actually having hope in a time of discouragement. What is that telling you and me? We are a people of discouragement. Every day we have things that we face that could get us down, could get us discouraged. But I've already given you three options. I've already given you three scriptures, word for word, verbatim, that God is saying you don't have to be hopeless, you don't have to be helpless. And he's saying, as David said, why are you down? I've got all of this promise, I've got all of this hope. And repeats it over and over to kind of drill home the point. There are no accidents in the Bible. There's an exact parallel to this word cast down when it comes to describing sheep. And remember the first week I said that God compares us to what kind of animal? To sheep. He calls us the sheep of his pasture. Uh, David in his imagery is actually painting a picture of the relationship between us, the sheep, 
and Jesus the shepherd. And David was no stranger to being a shepherd. He was a shepherd, spent his early years as being a shepherd, and he learned a lot of life lessons being out there with the sheep. And God used those life lessons through the Psalms, through the Scriptures, to help us realize the relationship between the shepherd and between the sheep, between Jesus and between us. There are two dangers I want to bring out today, if you're taking notes, that the shepherd has to watch out for when uh, regarding his sheep. The first one is being cast. I don't mean having something hard put on your arm when your arm gets broken. I'm talking about the literal physical condition of being cast or immobilized where you can't move, which I guess you could argue and say, isn't that exactly what they do when you break an arm, you break a leg, they put it in a hard cast so that that arm can't move so that that bone can heal. But when it comes to sheep, what that means is a sheep gets to a point where it's lying flat on its back with its legs straight up in the air. It can't roll over. It can't get up again. And I mentioned this guy, Philip Keller, last week. Uh, he's a minister that wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. But before he wrote that book, he wanted to find out firsthand what being a shepherd was all about, and he wanted to learn more about the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, so he went out and became a shepherd for, for several years. But he says a cast sheep is a pitiful sight to see. He said you don't want to come across a cast sheep. It's lying flat on its back, helpless, its feet in the air, flailing away frantically, Struggling just to stand up, which it can't. Sometimes it will uh, bleat a little or buy a little for some help. But generally, it just lies there in fearful frustration. It's helpless. How does this happen? I learned from the book. A sheep might roll over on its side to get some rest or to relax or to stretch. And suddenly, the center of gravity of their body shifts a little bit too far. They go a little bit too far, and they roll right up on their back. And they can't get their foot down, and they can't wiggle their way the way they're built to get back up on their feet. So they're just stuck. How many know for a sheep, that would be a dangerous place? I mean, when predators are all around, they're easy pickings, easy targets for buzzards, vultures, dogs, coyotes, cougars, bears, whatever. And all these predators know that a cast sheep is easy prey, just waiting to be killed, waiting to be devoured. All the time I'm saying this, keep in mind the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, and that we are also called sheep. And to make matters worse, that sheep is lying there flat on its back, and as it lies there flat on its back, guess what else happens? The gases in its stomach begin to expand and build up, and they expand so much that they cut off the air passage for the sheep. And to make matters even worse, with their legs straight up in the air, the blood flow goes out of their legs and their legs go numb. Let's just say this is a little bit more than just a little serious for the sheep. And if the weather is hot and sunny, a sheep can die in a matter of hours. If it's cool and cloudy, it can stay in that agonizing position for several days, just gasping for each breath. There's one thing that there's nothing that they can do about their predicament either. And that really is a good thing because they need a good shepherd. Because they can't do anything about their condition, they need a good shepherd to restore their soul and to restore their hope. But how does a shepherd do that? Well, he doesn't just come along and snap his fingers. It's not automatic and it's not real quick. It's a process. Little by little, he restores the sheep. First of all, if he comes onto a uh, sheep that's cast, laying on its back, legs up in the air, 
the first thing he does is start rubbing that sheep's legs to get the blood flow back into that sheep's legs. Then he'll roll the sheep down on its side to relieve the gas that's building up in its stomach. And all the time he's doing this, he's consoling that sheep. He's talking uh, calm and reassuring to that sheep to take the fear factor away. Then it says he gently puts his arm under that sheep and uprights the sheep. He's holding the weight of the sheep. The sheep's not putting any weight upon its own legs. Its legs are dangling and touching the ground, but he's holding the weight until the blood flow goes back into those legs, until they start having feeling again, and until they, they start getting uh, support and stability again. And then little by little, he'll take one arm away. And little by little, that sheep takes a step, and he'll take the other arm away. And pretty soon, that sheep is able to walk on its own and go back and rejoin the fold, rejoin the flock. Philip Keller also said that every day, several times a day, he would evaluate his flock. He would look out over the flock to make sure that all of them could be up and on their feet. And when one went missing, he says he spent several hours looking for the missing sheep. And when he saw a missing sheep over in the distance, maybe cast and laying on its back, helpless, he didn't just walk over to that sheep, he ran to that sheep because every moment, every second was critical. And he said he would have a sense of fear and a sense of joy when he was running to that sheep. Fear that it might be too late and a sense of joy because he found that sheep at all. I'm trying to paint a picture this morning. Think about it. On one hand, you have this sheep that's helpless, that's hopeless, that can't do anything for itself, is totally immobilized. And then on the other hand, you have the attentive shepherd that comes running to his sheep to rescue them. And once they're in the shepherd's care, that shepherd can turn everything around for that sheep. Where they were going to die, all of a sudden they're going to live. All of a sudden, he comes along and he saves them and he rescues them. Amen? That's the shepherd. And above all, that's the good shepherd. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. But the only problem I think we have today is when we fall down and when we sin, we have this attitude that just because I fell and just because I failed God and just because I sinned, God doesn't love me anymore. In fact, God is there just waiting to punish me for what I've done. Sometimes we feel like I've done something so wrong, God doesn't want to have anything to do with me anymore, and how could I dare get myself in a situation like this? You know, that might be our human thoughts, but that's not what I get out of the Scriptures. I don't believe that's the way God looks at us as his sheep at all. That's not his attitude. And if you look at the sheep's relationship to the shepherd and the shepherd's relationship to the sheep that's brought out in the Psalms, paints a whole, whole different picture. Think about Jesus himself. He was overwhelmed with compassion to the multitudes. Think about Matthew 9.36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think this is an amazing, a tremendous verse telling us what God is willing to do for his sheep. So if you ever run into a situation where you have a cast down soul, if you've ever been knocked flat on your back spiritually, relationally, physically, emotionally, and are having trouble getting back up, which many of us have, God's promised. He made a promise. And when God promises anything, he fulfills his promise. He promised he will come and restore our soul. He's the one who says, I'm the great shepherd. I will come restore your soul, your confidence, your peace, your strength, and even your joy. And do you know, by the way, that Jesus, the good shepherd, is in the rescue business? 
He's always been in the rescue business. He restores people. He restores souls and hope to all people that will turn to Him, that will look to Him, that will trust Him. So this morning, let me just ask you, and you may not understand it at first, but how many of you have ever felt cast? I mean, how many of you have ever felt immobilized? Maybe with fear? How many have ever felt cast uh, down, vulnerable, helpless, in need? Let me just say, if you've lived long enough, or you live long enough, you will, and most of us have. Amen? We've all been in those situations. I read a recent statistic that said how sick Americans really are. It said that Americans are depressed, and over 40 million, 18 and older, are diagnosed with anxiety disorders and depression. And worse than that, suicide rates have risen nearly 30% since 1999, making it a national crisis. There are 123 suicides each day in America, 123 suicides each day in America, and over 1 million suicides each year globally, each year worldwide. I think I have a reason for all of this, and it's not scientific. Uh, I think a reason is because so many people are trying to do life and navigate through life without the shepherd. They're trying to navigate through life without the help of the shepherd. You know as well as I do, you turn on that TV any time of the day and you're going to get blasted with hate. You're going to get blasted with hate from the left and the right. And we are not as a culture overall becoming more like Jesus. I think we're becoming a lot less like Jesus because we've taken Jesus out of our schools. We've taken Jesus out of our government. We've taken Jesus out of our country. We've taken Jesus out of our culture and out of our lives. What do we expect to get? Amen? Think about that. We have taken him out of so many vital areas in our world. We're like cast we're like cast sheep without a shepherd. And the thing is, it's not that Jesus doesn't want to be our shepherd. He wants to be our shepherd. It's that we've made a decision, a choice. We've made a choice that we don't want to follow him or that we won't, don't want him to be our shepherd. Years ago, I was doing a funeral service for some people I really didn't know very well. But as I met with the family and as I did the service, I was actually preaching my message at the funeral service. And, and all the time I'm preaching my message, sticking to my notes, God is ministering to my heart. And I'm looking out at this room full of people and my heart is breaking. Inside my heart is breaking. Because I was seeing them as a, a sheep without a shepherd. A flock of sheep without a shepherd. And I was feeling so broken inside. And the same time I thought that God spoke to my heart and said this, I heard him in my spirit say, well, they don't want a shepherd. They're like a sheep without a shepherd because they don't want a shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Amen? I believe this morning that we need to get back to putting God first in our lives. We need to make a conscious effort to put God back first in our lives. I know we're busy, well, unbusy. I know we're busy, make time for God and He'll make time for you. I promise you that, amen? I could say amen and go home right now, that'd be a pretty good sermon, amen? But I'm not, I'm going to put you through the rest of it, amen? But we are so busy in our world today that I believe we've lost sight of the shepherd. But it doesn't have to be that way and it doesn't have to stay that way. You realize that? And you and I have a part to play. Reading God's Word is a big part to play. Pick up that Bible. Don't just pick it up, blow the dust off of it, and put it back down. Pick it up, blow the dust off of it, then open it up and actually read it. Actually, carve out a time for prayer. Have a conversation 
with God. Get to know what God's voice sounds like because there are a lot of voices out there that aren't God's and we need God's word in our heart to realize which is truth, which is not truth. And the third thing we need to do is stay connected with the other sheep. That's pretty simple. Stay in church. Stay in the body of Christ. Stay in the flock. So the danger, first danger is being cast for a shepherd and a sheep. The second danger for sheep is getting lost. Sheep have this terrible tendency to wander off and get lost. All these uh, things that I'm going to talk about now are kind of covered in the last part of verse 3. It says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me. That's the key phrase. Who leads me? He leads me. The good shepherd leads me in the paths of righteousness. When my son Austin was about four years old, we had some barn cats, and, and they weren't tame at all. They were pretty wild. They didn't really like to be around people, but when the mood struck them once in a while, especially Austin, they would let him pet them. So Cheryl's in the kitchen. When Austin's four years old, he's out in the backyard playing on the swing set. She watches him. He slides down the, the slide, gets to the bottom of the slide, and the cat's in one of those moods. The kitty cat comes up and wants him to pet her. So he's, it was like a, a photo moment. He's uh, sitting there petting the kitty cat. And Cheryl's just watching him for a minute, goes about her kitchen duties, and then looks up a second later, she says, and he's gone. Uh, she she uh, hollers out the door and says, Austin, Austin, where are you? No answer. Walks around to the front yard. Austin, Austin, where are you? No answer. She looks over at our barn, our shed. All the doors are closed except our doggy door. It's open. And she thinks, hmm, he might have gone there. So anyway, she goes out to the barn. She says, Austin, Austin, where are you? And Austin says, I'm in here, Mommy. I'm up here. And she opens the door and looks up, and he's up in the hayloft petting the cat. Well, Cheryl goes into panic mode, heart attack mode, and she says, don't move. You stay right there, Austin. I'm getting your dad. And she runs in, screams at me. We come running out. I climb up the loft ladder. I get him under one arm, bring him back down on the floor. And I said, Austin, how in the world did you get up there? He goes, I followed the kitty cat. And then he explains how he followed the kitty cat. He said the kitty cat jumped on that shelf and then jumped on that shelf and then climbed over that stuff and then scooted it, walked its way across that board. So I climbed that shelf and I climbed over that stuff and I scooted my way across that board. That board was a little two-before running ten feet across the rafters in the barn and he said, I scooted myself over and rolled off into the hayloft. Hallelujah, I am so thankful, so thankful Jesus was there, amen? I am so thankful. I mean, 10 feet above a concrete floor. I could have lost my son that day. My son could have died. The point I'm trying to make is he followed the kitty cat. He followed something that he shouldn't have. And it could have been disastrous. Four-year-olds aren't expert climbers, Amen. They're not made to shinny across a two-before, ten feet off the a concrete floor. He followed something that he shouldn't, but I'm so thankful that Cheryl and I were there to rescue him. Well, let me tell you, that's my Austin story, but that might be your spiritual story today. You might be following some things in your life that you shouldn't. You might be following and doing some things in your life that are going to lead to disaster. Think about it. Sometimes a sheep will stand there and nibble on grass and it gets so caught up in that next bite of grass that it doesn't look toward its shepherd anymore. It just is concerned about what it's eating. And little by little it nibbles and it moves and it nibbles and it moves and it nibbles and it moves. Pretty soon it's in a totally different pasture, totally different field. 
The only thing they have on their mind at the time is getting that next blade of grass. And before you know it, that sheep is lost. You know, there are some animals in the animal kingdom that actually have a honing device built into them. Pigeons have one of those. Uh, I believe dogs and sometimes cats do. I found out that horses even have a honing device. They can find their way back home when they get lost. You just drop the reins and they'll find their way back to the barn. It's amazing. Sheep can't do that. And the reason sheep can't do that, and I told you why in the first uh, week, the classic characteristic of sheep, they're stupid. <laughs> they're dumb. Sheep are not smart animals. So once a sheep has gone astray, it can't find its way home. And to make matters worse, their eyesight's not very good either. They can only see about 10 yards in front of them. That's why they also tend to wander off. Maybe that's why the prophet Isaiah had these words to say in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we. I think that is pretty well covers it all. All we like sheep have gone astray. If you know anything about Scripture, it also points out that we are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. We're a prideful people. We prefer to follow our own way, even at our own destruction, even at our own demise. You ever wonder why you struggle with the same issue over and over again? You wonder why? It's because we're a prideful and stubborn people. We don't want to follow, we want to lead. It goes against the grain of our human nature to follow. We want to lead, be in control. We don't even want to give the control of the remote control over to somebody, amen? <laughs> Let alone our lives, think about that. But when sheep don't follow the shepherd, something tragic happens. They get off of the right path and get on the wrong path. Guess what happens when we, as God's sheep, don't follow the shepherd? We do the same thing. We just don't take big leaps onto that wrong path. It's kind of gradual and slow. And I think as far as Christians go, it starts with uh, take a day off from praying, take a day off from reading the Bible. Pretty soon that one day turns into three, that three turns into a week, that week turns into a month, and pretty soon we're not reading or praying at all. Well, when sheep don't follow the shepherd, they get on the wrong path. When we don't follow the shepherd, we start looking at things we shouldn't, doing things that we shouldn't. We start justifying everything because everybody else is doing it. I guess I might as well. And we get off the path. That reminds me of what Solomon says in Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This may not mean a physical death. Usually doesn't mean a physical death. Could mean a spiritual death, could mean a marital death, a relational death. The truth is we often make bad choices and bad decisions to go down the road, get ourselves in trouble, and then who do we blame? Not ourselves. We usually have a tendency to blame God for it. Well, let me put it back in perspective. The good news is the good shepherd always leads his sheep to paths of greener pastures and still waters. And the scripture I'm talking about, bottom line, says he leads us to what kind of paths? The right paths. His paths are always going to be the right paths. So today, with that said, I would imagine some of us have gotten off of the right road and gotten onto the wrong road. I know I have in my past. I say, I'd say that most of us could say that. And some of you today might be facing a crossroad in your life, and you're wondering, which road do I take? Well, you might be one turn away from a hospital bed. You might be one turn away from a broken home, a broken family, an empty home. Because we never know what's going to happen in our lives. Do you realize that? And it's not a matter of if bad things happen, it's when bad things happen. We live in a real world. Jesus says there will be trouble. But take courage, I've overcome the world. The answer is to all of this is stay close to the shepherd. 
Do you realize when that sheep that's out in the pasture is within sight of the shepherd and close to that shepherd, he doesn't have to worry about a thing. He doesn't even have to worry about what's ahead or what's behind or what's around because the shepherd is there to provide and to protect. Stay close to the shepherd. It's as simple as that. And do you know why the shepherd leads us in the first place? It's covered in the last part of this, verse 3, for his name's sake. You know what that means? It's so that our lives will bring him glory, that our lives will bring him praise. And do you know why I think we ought to make every effort that we can to walk in his ways and to be pleasing to the shepherd and obey the shepherd so that our entire life can bring glory to him, bring glory and praise to our shepherd for the glory of his name. The shepherd has one job to lead the sheep. We have an even easier job, I'd say, to follow the shepherd. And we do it all for his glory. Not for your glory, not for my glory, but for his glory. Knowing that his ways are always, what kind of ways? The right ways. His paths are always the right paths. But then again, that old ugly human nature steps up, thinks we know better than God. Uh, God hates pride. God hates pride and uh, uh, says in the scripture, pride becomes comes before a fall. So it's a serious matter. Pride is that ugly part of you and me. That's that ugly part of our heart that is more concerned about ourselves and our reputation than we are about God and His reputation. Amen? When I look at this 23rd Psalm, I don't see anywhere in it where we even uh, have anything to be proud about. We don't have anything to be proud about. I mean, think about art and art uh, critics. Art critics don't award a, a blank canvas. They don't award a painting. They award the artist, right? They award the artist that painted it. Same with God. We have this unbelievable rest in our lives. We have salvation, peace. We have blessings and a promise of a home in heaven. And do you realize we didn't do one thing to earn any of it? Who did? Who did the work? Well, the answer to that is weaved all the way through this 23rd Psalm. I'll give you three quick instances where it says, He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He restores my soul. Yeah, you and me, you and, me we, you and I, we might be the canvas, but we don't deserve any of the applause. Amen? We don't deserve any of the awards. We don't deserve any of the honor. And in the end, there's only going to be one that will receive it, and there's only going to be one that deserves it, and his name today is Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. John, the Apostle John, tries, I'll say tries, to describe what he saw and the Jesus he saw in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Starting with verse 12, we'll go through 18. But listen to what John says. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and ever. And he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. There's no other name on that marquee. Jesus isn't going to share the stage with anyone else. And that's why he's called us to honor him as the sheep of his pasture. 
to honor Him, to glorify Him in the way that we live our lives. He alone is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor today and forever. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Let me ask you this morning, is He really your shepherd? Have you totally been trusting in Him? I'm speaking to some of you that maybe you prayed a prayer years ago and you said you were going to trust Him, but you find yourself not trusting Him. Let me tell you, I've been there. I've walked that road. said I was going to trust Him a long time, and then I walked away. And I stress, I walked away. I always thought He wouldn't want me back when I walked away from Him, and I left Him for six years. Didn't want to have anything to do with Him. And I kept thinking, He'll never want me back. And I kept thinking, I'm too broken for Him to ever use or ever want. And... I finally went back to him, and he was right where I left him. He wasn't the one that walked away. I was the one that walked away. And guess what he was doing? Open arms, ready to receive me. So this morning, we've got a Jesus that has open arms that's ready to receive your brokenness, ready to receive your hurt, ready to receive your hard times, your struggles, your pain, your sins. He's waiting for you and me to make a decision this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm keeping it simple this morning. Jesus looks on the heart. He sees your heart. He loves you with a love that's beyond any love we could ever compare. And he's saying this morning, I love you. You are the sheep of my pasture. I love you. And when you get cast down, he said, I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to rise you back up to give you the strength and the hope and the salvation that you need. So Lord God, I pray for those that are in this room. Maybe they've kind of slipped away, drifted away from you, their shepherd. Father, we've all done it. And you're still there with open arms. Father, I pray that this would be a moment for this entire church to come back to your heart. To come back to you. To surrender to you in a fresh new way. To say, God, I know I've drifted. God, I know I've ran. God, I know I've walked away. But I'm coming back. I'm back. You restoreth my soul. Restore me, Lord God, to a full relationship with you. I pray that that prayer is resounding in our hearts today. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk the road you've called us to walk. We thank you for the refreshing of our souls, for leading us down the right paths. I pray you'd help us to surrender our will over to your will. Help us to follow you each step of our journey through life. And Father, draw our hearts closer to you and help us. Help us to truly depend upon you to be our great shepherd. Lord, I pray that our lives would bring glory to your name. Not just for today, not just the moments we're in this church service, but when we walk out of here and we live life with our families, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates, wherever we go, Lord God, I pray that your name would be glorified. It would be magnified in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone that believes that said amen with me. Amen. God bless you all. Go out and be the sheep of his pasture.